Morning. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we unpack this passage of Scripture this morning, I pray that you would deepen our understanding of your word and that you would minister to us by the Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a very interesting passage of Scripture before us um, today. Um, The first 11 chapters of Romans are all about the doctrine of salvation and um, that salvation is by faith alone. And um, chapter 14 is the third chapter now about how we should live in light of as a, as a man or a woman of faith. Uh, the general theme of, of these how-to chapters um, is clearly... Let your love be genuine and love your neighbour as yourself. And today the theme is the same uh, as Paul tells us how uh, those with weak faith and strong faith should relate to each other. Welcome each other in love. Um, I think in some ways this passage is very straightforward, but it does have a few little difficult verses scattered through it that require a bit of thinking. Um, The first interesting thing uh, here, I think, is the definition that Paul gives to someone of strong faith and someone of weak faith. It's certainly not those who trust God for a bigger miracle or those who trust God more in day-to-day things of life. Um, It's not about that at all. Paul labels the weak as those who don't by matter of conscience, eat meat or drink wine. But the strong are free to eat and drink anything. Because somehow the stronger are displaying a greater degree of trust in God, hence a stronger faith. The first thing um, to note here is that The avoidance of meat and wine by those who Paul calls the weak is not sin. It's God-honouring, God-worshipping behaviour. It's done by those of weak faith, not those of no faith. Verse 6 says, The one who observes the day observes it in honour of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. Therefore, both the weak and the strong are not sinning. Both are God-honouring Christians. This is not a saved versus unsaved or a gospel versus heresy argument here. Which leads to the next point, that the weak in faith that Paul is talking about here are not the same as the legalists that we find in Galatians, who thought that circumcision was essential to securing acceptance with God. The Galatians were observing God's law to achieve righteousness, that is, right standing with God. And Paul says that's abhorrent and that's a false gospel. He was very strong about that. 
He made it abundantly clear in his letter to the Romans that pleasing God can only be done through faith alone and not through observance of the law. The weak in faith here are weak not because they don't trust God for their righteousness but because they regard meat and wine uh, in some sense as unclean. While Paul himself, who is strong in faith, also trusts God for his righteousness, is is convinced that nothing of itself is unclean. There's a similar instance here, a parallel um, in Corinthians. Uh, If you want to put that up, Sal, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5. For even if there are so-called gods, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still accustomed to idols, that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. This is the most probable issue here in Romans as well. And when you think about it, it would take a lot of faith to eat something that's been sacrificed to an idol. Thirdly, uh, verse 1 says that these are opinions. Uh, And in the NIV translation, it says they're disputable matters. These are not matters pertaining to salvation. If they were, Paul would defend them with his life. They're opinions on how to best glorify God in a life well lived. Those who eat and drink are not doing so out of self-indulgent liberty. And those who abstain are not doing so out of pride or self-righteousness. Both the weak and the strong are God-centred and grace-centred Christian believers. So, how should we treat each other? Do you notice that Paul does not encourage the strong to build up the weak? The strong must welcome the weaker brother and not hold him at a distance like a second-rate believer. He must not quarrel or argue with him about these matters. He mustn't despise the weaker brother who in turn must not pass judgment on the stronger brother's actions. Don't quarrel over disputable matters. But rather, verse 13, we should decide that by our own actions not to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 4 says, Who are you to pass judgment? It's before God that he stands or falls, but he will be upheld, for the Lord will make him stand. Paul says that the weaker brother is saved, and God himself will ensure that. As I said before, disputable matters in Paul's day probably revolved around Jewish food laws, as well as observing important ceremonial days. 
possibly the Sabbath. Disputable matters in our culture today can also include the same things. They could be wider. These arguments still exist in Australia. We have Christians who abstain from alcohol and certain foods and uh, believe that that is the best way to live their Christian life. Even Christians have different opinions over observing Christmas and Easter. Verse 5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. But both are accepted by God. Sal and I were talking in the kitchen on Friday and um, about this and, you know, the hardest ones are in your own family. Um, and there are times when I think that I've wrongly argued over elements of scripture, for instance, it's drunkenness and not alcohol that God's displeased with. We've had heated arguments. And I think at times we don't honour their house or their table, and that's wrong. In fact, the more that we argue, if you notice, the more the other person is entrenched in their opinion. And sometimes scripture cannot persuade them. They will even argue against scripture. You see, Paul takes a different approach here. He doesn't argue over the opinion. He welcomes the brother. He loves the brother. And he continues to talk about the gospel. He demonstrates it right here in this letter. And this is what I should do. We should talk about where's our righteousness come from in Christ. We should talk about the fact that we're fully forgiven in him. Paul is adamant that our attitude here should be one of love. Even go without meat or wine or whatever for the sake of your brother. If your brother's grieved by what we eat, we no longer walk in love, but we destroy our brother. Because reading from verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's not good to eat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. I think this means that the confidence that you have in the Lord that you may eat or drink anything 
is best kept between yourself and God. When we argue our understanding of unessential matters onto others, we might injure them spiritually and thereby bring judgment on ourselves. And not to say that we shouldn't talk about these matters with our family and friends when we're asked, but it's not the main point. I think where it says the faith that you have keep between yourself and God, that doesn't mean we don't share our faith. That means the conviction that we have over disputable matters, we can keep that to ourselves. It doesn't have to be the thing that we harp on about every time we see that person. The gospel, the cross of Christ, is the centre of our faith. And as we come to understand that, the disputable issues just fall into place. One of the uh, complexities of the passage today is that we have a God who has very clear lines between good and evil, which scripture clearly tells us are not based on man's opinion or circumstance, but on God and his holiness. The law of God is so solid The punishment for every sin is death and only Jesus' death on the cross could extinguish the wrath of God against unrighteousness. And yet, here in this passage today, we find elements that say, if you believe it to be clean, it is, and if you believe it to be unclean, it is for you. What's with that? Today, we're not talking about faithfulness versus adultery. We're not talking about sexual purity versus purity. We're not talking about love versus hate or forgiveness versus unforgiveness. We're talking about the items on the dining room table and what days are best to have as communal worship. And Paul is saying that these things can be done either in faith or in sin. That's what we're talking about today. And the core or the root of sin is a lack of faith. That's why Paul says in verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There's no room for doubt. There's no room for wishy-washiness about your personal convictions. We must seek the Lord on every matter and trust in him. Exercise our faith. See, if we believe that God's calling us to abstain and we eat, we're not trusting him at all and we sin. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, verse verse 23. And there's so much in this passage, but I do want to pick on this one for a bit. It's such a massive description of sin. It's the, it's, the description, it's the description of sin in the Bible that wrecks me. It just undoes me. It just points to so many holes in my life. Anything, any act, any attitude which is owing to a lack of trust in God is sin. No matter how moral it may appear. Faith, on the other hand is trusting that what Jesus took 
is the punishment for our sins. But faith goes a bit further than that. Faith means actively trusting in all the promises of God. It means God works for good for those that love him. It means we trust him because he will follow us with goodness and mercy all our days. He will not leave us or forsake us. Faith is the confidence in the promises and power of God. Therefore, it is not anxious about tomorrow. It's taking God at his word. Trusting in God not only gives us righteousness, but also joy and peace. Because we are confident that God is at work right now in the everyday affairs of our lives so that only what's ultimately best for us is what happens to us. That's a lot of faith. The failure of the heart to be confident in the promises of God and to rejoice and find pleasure in this provision for the future, that failure is the root and essence of all sin. In every act or thought of sin is an element of unbelief and mistrust of God. And God has every right to display his wrath. Think of it this way. You've got a friend. It's your best friend. And that friend um, offers you to do you a favour and promises you by their honour to see it through. And you decline the offer and you say, no, I've decided I can't trust you anymore. Your friendship's over, right? Like it's done. You've insulted their integrity and you've robbed them of their honour. And there's just cause for animosity against you. The offensiveness of your insult would increase in direct proportion to the honour and loyalty of your friend. True? In other words, the greater his wisdom and honour and dependability, the uglier and more inexcusable would be the insult of your failure to take God at his word. And we know. Yeah. Sin's not just a list. It's not just merely breaking the Ten Commandments or transgressing a list of do's and don'ts. I think one of Satan's most successful lies is that sin can be limited to a manageable list of do's and don'ts. And therefore my sins are few. The evil here that it causes thousands of churchgoers to think that things are okay between them and God because they avoid one list of don'ts and practice another much shorter list of do's. In fact, they may be sinning all day long, incurring the wrath of God because their attitudes and actions do not come from faith in his promises. Every act of unbelief is an insult to an infinitely trustworthy God who calls us into a relationship of faith. Today, as we prepare ourselves for the communion meal, let's consider how, we, how we've not 
acted in faith. But also remember the speck of faith that we have has saved us. Whether we are weak or strong, God will make us stand. We stand justified before a holy God through the breaking of Jesus' body and the shedding of his blood. If you believe in Jesus, Galatians 2.20 is true. It says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Today, if you love the Lord, even just a little tiny bit, you're welcome at his table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot escape from your pursuit. You have found us and you have inclined our hearts to believe in you. We confess our great sinfulness and we know we don't deserve your love and we don't Lord we, our lack of faith at times is so great and we don't deserve you but we believe in you that your son died to bear our sin and punishment so we can live forever and walk today in newness of life. Father, we take you, we take Jesus as our only hope and we acknowledge him as our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.